Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Ward Bell. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Another quick reminder to go check out JS Remote Conf, where we're uh, doing an online conference about JavaScript, and it will be in a few weeks, so uh, you need to get tickets now if you want to be there. Uh, We also have a special guest this week, and that is Marcy Sutton. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. I'm Marcy Sutton. I'm a developer at Substantial in Seattle, where I am working full-time on Angular Material, which is a framework we're going to talk about a little bit today. But yeah, I specialize in accessibility, something I care very much about, and I love how it's integrated with my work every day. Hey, Marcy, what is Substantial? Substantial is a design and development company. It's about... 60 people. We have offices in Seattle and San Francisco. And I went there to learn pragmatic development, learning software testing and Git. Uh, Coming from the agency world, those were skills I didn't have. So in the past year, I've become very fluent in those things. And uh, I use them every day on Angular Material. So it was a good move. You came from the agency world? Did, Did that mean that you were doing what? I was developing on whatever the at the agency I was at, Primarily, I did things for Target, which if you've ever built anything for Target, you would know that it has to be accessible. So that's where my expertise finally started to come together. But we did all kinds of things for Nintendo and Xbox and, you know, really big clients, but you had to get them out the door as quickly as possible. So software testing was not a core competency there. So for me to learn it, I had to go learn from people who actually did it every day. So... That was my driving goal in uh, moving to Substantial. Awesome. So Substantial does the work for Target and all of these other clients, or you kind of wound up there afterward? I wound up there afterward. So we do projects that live on longer, like a, a teaching platform for teachers to host videos. Uh, for It's a common core site. That's one project. We have another project that's a whiskey recommendations app that I worked on to make accessible um, and so these are projects that live on with, you know, they have a longer life cycle than the typical agency campaign. So by having to maintain projects for longer, you end up having different software development practices. So that was where I ended up later. So now you're, at, you're working with the Angular team on material design? I am. They reached out to me back in June or July and asked me first to speak at NG Europe, and through that engagement, I came to work on Angular Material for accessibility. I am also the resident docs redesign person right now, so I'm focused on user experience of the actual the design docs for Angular Material. How are our directives and services presented to developers and figuring out how to communicate that best? So in addition to actually auditing the components that my fellow developers create for accessibility. I'm also contributing for the actual presentation of the library. 
What is material design for our audience and, and for me? Material design is a design language that Google came up with to basically across all of their platforms from Android to using Angular or Polymer. If you're creating user interfaces that are either using Google frameworks or for Google products, if you think about, you know, Drive or uh, Hangouts or any of those kind of things, they wanted a cohesive brand almost. And so they created material design to basically give you a, a full spec on how details should be implemented so that they look similar across all of these platforms. So material design could be implemented in different ways. There's the Android version, there's the Polymer version, there's the Angular version. And these basically give people choices to implement whatever they want to create, but have it look cohesive across platforms. Wow. But they're making this available to the public uh, on the grounds that we might want to use it too, and we wouldn't necessarily be buying into the Google brand. We could effectively uh, host our own brand or our own style within material design. Is that the thinking? Yeah, I believe so. So there are other design frameworks, if you will, out there like Bootstrap or Foundation. And I think those are, they all have very unopinionated design styles in that you could kind of use these frameworks to work within your own brand and kind of, you know, style a few things differently so that, you know, maybe the colors and the typography, they match your brand more, but you're still starting with a style sheet and some JavaScript and HTML that is going to look similar across the web. So Google's brand is pretty benign. It's it's very, like, you could mold it to fit into other brand voices. So if you think about it as a kind of another option as compared to, you know, a bootstrap or, you know, one of these other design frameworks, it has a slightly different style to it. That's the way I think about it. Mm, yeah, well, I, I did look at it, and the thing that l leapt out at me was how much, because uh, well, I've struggled with Bootstrap, right? Um, uh, I mean, I just, I lay down, I don't know about you other guys, but I lay down my Bootstrap, and I have no idea if it's going to work, and it can go off somewhere very quickly, and I have no idea what's going on, and there just seemed to be lots of nested stuff. And then I took a look at, you know, the previews of material design, and it seemed to be oh so much simpler to me. So I was um, immediately captivated, but I know it hasn't been released yet. But before we go into that, how about you guys? Have any of you taken a crack at, I mean, are you bootstrap users now, or what are we out here? I'm kind of a bootstrap user by default, just because it's uh, fairly popular and I'm often using it in courses, and so I try to pick something that a lot of people have some exposure to. I don't necessarily feel like I love Bootstrap, though. Yeah. You yeah. have the same experience you have? You look at it and go, huh? Um, probably not quite so much, but maybe that's because I've been messing with it for so long that I've, I don't know, I'm not feeling that way anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I use Bootstrap basically as kind of a, it makes it look nicer than what I would come up with by default, and so that's when I load it in when I have a client that doesn't have a design. And uh, that way they at least have something that looks okay. And, you know, that kind of works out nicely that way. But there are a lot of nice things about it, but there are definitely some things about it that I don't love. And mainly what it comes down to is the default look and feel looks nicer, like I said, than what I would come up with. But it's still pretty bland. And they want you to, you know, customize it so that, it you know, you give it your own flavor. But I'm not extremely talented that way. 
And so I wind up tweaking colors and fonts, you know, and, and do that at a slower pace. And so it seems like some of the other ones like Zurb Foundation give you a little bit more in the way of, hey, you know, you're going to have a nice looking website that doesn't look like it was just, you know, gray and black. Um, mm-hmm. It makes it a little easier to go that way. And I've used them both, but yeah, I generally just uh, toss um, bootstrap on the heap. When uh, so was one of the design goals to make it easier to lay down your controls, your HTML controls. I think it, the the way that it's implemented doesn't differ that much from. I mean, if, like talking about picking up a, a, a library or uh, something like this, having that be confusing. I think we certainly want our components to be easy to use. One of the differences I wanted to mention that kind of separates material design from bootstrap, for example, is that material design has a lot more motion and Z indexing. So it has, it has more, (laughs) forgive me for this, uh, it has more depth (laughs) in the, uh, in the way, the way that they actually suggest that you layer different things on top of each other. It has more of a, a backstory with why you would put these components together in a certain way. So if you think about it in, as a design language, it just happens to be implemented in a few different flavors. That is a more comprehensive solution than a Twitter bootstrap. But it's the nice thing about all of this cool open source stuff is that we can make choices. If you don't want to use Material, you could use Bootstrap or the other way around. And there will be a bit of a learning curve, I think, for any of these. The ones that are the easiest to get into are going to have good adoption. So we're definitely... On Angular Material, we're listening to our contributors and open source community so that, you know, if something is confusing, then we either refactor it or we go back to the docs and make sure that we're explaining it correctly. So that's where a lot of our effort is, is making sure that what we're building is going to be easy to implement. Yeah, that's definitely a downside with both Foundation and Bootstrap is that there is so much there and it's so opinionated that you have to consistently go back and look at how it's done in order to get in any work done with it. I mean, eventually you get to the point where you're semi-familiar with it, but initially... Well, I, th- I think sometimes you have to be opinionated. I know with Angular Material, we because of the way that there is motion, things animate in and out in a certain way, and we want them to be hardware accelerated on mobile and accessible, so... Sometimes to accomplish those things, we have to be pretty opinionated. So I can totally understand that. The balancing act is making it easy for developers to consume. Mm -hmm. Well, I think a lot of it just comes down to naming and stuff. So, I mean, you know, you have your class names and uh, things like that in some of these other frameworks or like SM call 10 or whatever, you know. And so that's, you know, on a smaller layout, this is column 10, but it's not named in a way to where it's really apparent what it's doing. You have to learn the conventions, the naming conventions around stuff. And so I'm really curious to see if material design, yes, it has to be opinionated because that's kind of the point. If you're giving somebody a generic or, you know, a complete look and feel, but is it going to communicate better what things do? Will it be intuitive? And that's, that's definitely the goal. And not easy. It's not easy, but. Yeah. Correct. I mean, it, you know, there is a learning cur- curve with Angular in general, but we want to make it intuitive 
I think the hard part sometimes is what you might think is intuitive might not be intuitive to everyone else. And so that's where we're really listening to feedback and trying to make it as easy to use as possible. Everybody else can be wrong. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one of the things I think I noticed was that animations were all kind of built right into the things you drop on there. Is that just my impression or is that part of the design? They are built into, are you talking about components? Like how self-contained? Yeah, I think if it's, primarily our effort so far has been, if there's animation related to a single component, then it will be, you know, part of that component. What we, part of, some major thing that we haven't gotten to yet is actually, you know, animation between components. And I know at Google I.O. there was a demo where sections of a page kind of morph into each other and you persist certain DOM nodes after a page transition. So rather than having it just reappear after a transition, actually seeing it transform into, like from a grid tile into a a bigger piece of content on the next page. So I've seen some early prototypes of that, and I think that's going to be really awesome because we'll start to see, you know, across individual components, actually see them tied together. And I think that's where the material design aspect is going to shine quite a bit. That that's going to be huge for my world. I think everybody has to sort of say what you know. What kinds of things do you build? And since I build mostly business applications, that's what my clients build. We're not usually looking for our own branding so much as we're just looking for some things that that give a graceful user experience. And we'd be happy to copy somebody else's design. And so as long as we could just lay these things in and have them work, and that appears to be a goal of material design. At least that was the way it, it just spoke to me as I was looking at it. And and I don't know if that is an ex- explicit goal, but it sure came across that way. Yeah, I think that certainly seems like a goal to me. And with there's a theming part of it so that you can change the look and feel a little bit. I think there are preset color palettes that Google has come up with, but there is the opportunity to craft it a little bit to fit your brand better. So when's, uh, what's, uh, what's the availability of material design? Well, you can hammer on it now on GitHub <laughs> uh, or using Bower. So you can pull it into your project. I would say that before it gets into production for anyone, I, you know, we're still actively working on it every day. And so I don't think we're quite ready for it to go into production apps. But by having people you know, create the kinds of apps that they would build with it and then give us feedback, that helps us, you know, make it a more robust solution so we can hammer out as many issues as possible before we fully release, which I I heard is supposed to be Q2 probably. Hmm. Because we're in Q1 and I don't don't feel like we're close to that yet. Yeah, we are, aren't we? You you should Um, totally make promises you know you can't keep. Indeed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and some of us are all in favor of releasing early. But I, I guess things can crash and burn that way. So position it for us relative to our other choices as Angular developers. Yes. So, well, the, the biggest selling point, I think, on Angular Material, because uh, there are others. There's you know a React Material option. There's another Angular Material library as well. And we are working with those folks directly, the, the Lumix folks, to join efforts so that we can collaborate, which I think is awesome. The biggest selling point is that we have a lot of brain power behind Angular Material. Some uh, industry 
experts as far as Angular goes. They brought me on an accessibility, and accessibility is something that is not considered with a lot of these frameworks. You'll see them get released quickly, and if you go dig in a little bit, you'll find that accessibility wasn't considered at all. Or maybe it's not hardware accelerated on mobile, or maybe it's not, it doesn't have any test coverage. So I think the pragmatic thinking that goes into Angular Material is going to make it a really good solution. Hmm. Now you keep saying performance accelerated on mobile. What exactly do you mean by that? I mean, if you have animations, you know, there's some animations in CSS that perform better, like if you use transforms versus animating height or some other CSS property. So by creating, like you could do things quick and dirty and they will work, but it might not perform as fast on a mobile device. You know, it has limited computing power compared to a desktop computer, Um, although phones are pretty awesome now. I think there are techniques that we can use with animation that will just perform better on mobile. And those are things that you pick up along the way that I haven't seen in some of these other frameworks. Right. And so you're just, uh, you're just making sure that that's all bolted in automatically into Angular material so that when I load it in, I don't have to worry about that because it's just going to pick the automation that's already going to perform the best on the phone. And that way people don't get some funny experience when they come in. Correct. Yeah. So the goal is to make it work, make it perform as be- as good as possible on a number of platforms. The challenge with that is that there are an infinite number of mobile devices, and it's really <laughs> hard. it's really hard to test and develop on every single one. So I anticipate that it won't be perfect everywhere, but it's pretty hard to accomplish that anyway. But the goal is to know that there are common patterns. You know that if you animate CSS transforms uh, instead of, you know, some other CSS properties that you'll get a better result. So you've talked, you know, the word accessibility keeps popping up and it's one of those things. Well, it was like testing in my, you know, in the past or something like that. A lot of everybody wants, says they should do it, but nobody um, does. Yeah. Well, nobody's compelled to do it. Although uh, on the one level, uh, it would be great to hear from you about how I can get into this uh, without, you know, gracefully without uh, killing myself. And also, you know, occasionally I run into clients who say, you know, that they are required. There's a stick behind this. So, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about the landscape that will both compel us to make our apps more accessible and then what, how you can make it easier for us to do so. Sure. Have you ever broken your arm? No, I haven't. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Or had some bells stopping. I mean, so my, my goal in asking that question is just to put it in context that any one of us could need accessibility features at any time. So the easiest thing, I think the easiest way for you to start building accessibility into the apps you build is to use your keyboard only and not a mouse and not a trackpad. Because a lot of times we completely forget that we should support the keyboard. And I feel like, you know, screen readers aside, that's, that's a huge portion of this as well when we're talking about accessibility. But I feel like you can hit a lot of the major accessibility issues if you just try to navigate using your keyboard. So that's probably the easiest way to get started is to go, uh, there's a button here or there's some action that I've coded up with ng-click and I can't reach it from my keyboard and I can't operate it. Mm. So if, if you wire that up by using buttons or tab index and keyboard events, you can actually start to improve accessibility quite a bit. And I think those should just be best practices that you build in anyway. Because if you start with accessibility earlier, it makes it a lot 
easier to justify, I think, because then you aren't having to come back and add it later when you're out of budget. Many of the things that you say, I feel like we could put the word testing in there and it'd be the same statement. It would, yeah. And actually, I've combined both of those to do accessibility testing so that, you know, if we go and implement some accessibility feature in Angular Material, if we have test coverage on that, if something breaks and the accessibility feature doesn't continue to work as expected, well, that will probably be caught by a test that we wrote. That's awesome. Well, so that's broccoli and anchovies together. (laughs) (laughs) Yum. Yeah. Now we just need a little cheese. Accessibility has traditionally been the broccoli topic, and I'm trying to make it more into pizza because I think it's it can be fun. Like if you anticipate accessibility, you talked about there being a stick, and Target was a company that had legal action brought against them, and so everything they made had to be accessible. That created a, a pretty cool culture, though, that they really embraced it while I was working on their projects. So that you know they had an accessibility team that I worked with directly, and there were people with disabilities that would test the things that I worked on. And by getting to know those people, I really started to care about accessibility because I I have friends now, frankly, that have disabilities. And the things that I build, I want them to be able to access them. So for me, that's what helped me integrate it fully into my development process was that I started to care a lot more about it. And I can't, I can't undo this, this care that I have for accessibility. I can't like, not build it into my process. So I would hope that just by talking about it more, people will go, oh, it's really not that hard. I can totally add some accessibility into my process and not have it, you know, balloon the the scope or the budget on my project. It just helps to know a little bit when you're getting started that, hey, if you put ng-click on a div, that's not going to be accessible. Really? So I'm not, I'm not sure we have those touchstones. And, yeah. um because uh, I think most many of us say, "Oh my God, I got to litter the thing with area tags," and maybe I do. And you can talk about that, because I, you know, area I can barely spell it. I don't even really know what it does. So maybe you can. Uh, you've talked about making things keyboard, but I didn't even know that ng. I never thought about ng click and the keyboard being divorced. Are, are there like a top five things that we should know? Yes, I'd say number one: use a button. <laughs> the button element. It'll get you so much for free that you don't even have to worry about the ARIA aspect. Mm. So that's probably the easiest. There are things that we're doing with ng-ARIA, which is the accessibility module in Angular. That is an add-on that if, if you include ng-ARIA, you can get some fixes for the, the ng-click on divs. We're trying to fix that so that all people would have to do is add this module, and then it will make all of those ng-clicks accessible. Mm-hmm. But that still depends on people using the module. So... I would recommend that, you know, if you use, anytime you're creating an interactive element, just start with a button. That will help give you a lot. What about, um, what about things like lists, for example? So let's say I have a list of, I don't know, podcast episodes. And uh, I'm loading that in with AngularJS. And so, you know, I set the hover state and, you know, the click stuff with that kind of a tag. Should I just put an anchor tag around it? Yes. I mean, depending on what the content is, if it takes you to a page with a podcast on it, yeah, I would wrap inside of the list item. You wrap that with an anchor. So if it, we can get back to that keyboard test. So if you tried to tab through the page, you would find that you can't actually access those list items with yeah. your keyboard because list items are not part of the tab order. 
you could do some fancy things with adding tab index and you'd have to add a key press event and alongside the ng click, but it's so much more work than it's worth that, yeah, if you just wrap the content in an anchor, then that'll make it accessible. Given that you also, alongside your hover state in your CSS, you also want to define a focus state. And as long as you can reach it from the keyboard, either because it's a button or because you've add, added tab index of zero, then you can define a focus style. And then when you're using the keyboard, you'll actually see where you are on the screen because that's kind of a, an important thing. Yeah, so so the hover thing, that's something we do with our desktop, and we forget that in mobile you can't hover. But also you're saying that from an accessibility point of view, that, that the plan is that somebody might tab into it and then get whatever's supposed to happen with hover? Yeah, so you definitely, if you're putting hover in your CSS, you want to ask, you know, is someone going to be able to use this from the keyboard? And if it's a list item, you know, by default, they wouldn't. So anytime you have a hover, you should be asking yourself, how would I apply focus to this? Because keyboards are pretty important for a lot of people. I think mobile devices are uh, becoming used a lot, especially by people with disabilities. And so there's slightly different uh, you know, the, the actual keyboard focus might not apply as much, but you still have to, if you use buttons, you know, button element instead of, or an anchor element, um, you get a lot for free no matter what kind of a platform it is. Mm. What, uh, tell us, uh, I, I, this is really a noob question, but I see the word aria and I don't know what the heck I'm really looking at. It's one of those embarrassing things that I've, I've been meaning all these years to go find out about. Give us the elevator pitch on aria. Sure, yeah. ARIA stands for Accessible Rich Internet Applications, and it was created to give us a set of attributes that we could put on our HTML to add semantics. So with HTML5, we got a new set of tags that actually have semantics built in. If you think about, you know, the nav element or the section element or any of those elements that, you know, we don't have to add ARIA to, to those to say that that is a type of element. So that's what we call built-in. ARIA allows you to bolt on attributes that will add similar semantics. So you could add a role of list item to, like, say, in Angular Material, we use custom elements quite a bit. So for your list of podcasts in Angular Material, we might have an MD list element. To create an actual list item out of that, which an MD list item is pretty much just a div, it, like, by default, it's we can tell it to be a block element, but it doesn't come with any semantics because we made it up. But if we add a role of list item to that and it's inside of, you know, it's grouped together in an element that has a role of list, then when uh, someone is using a screen reader or some other assistive technology, that set of elements will actually have, they will have semantics added on. So ARIA is the mechanism that you can add semantics like this. There's also attributes for you know, is it disabled? Is it selected? Or, you know, all of these things to communicate what this widget that you made that might not come with any free semantics, it gives you a mechanism to actually tell a screen reader what's happening with this thing. It seems cool. that a lot of the focus in the area of accessibility on the web is focused around visual impairment. Um, you know, people who can't see the screen and so they have to use some other mechanism to read it. And honestly, if you, if you want to understand how difficult your life is, go, you know, blank out your screen and then have a screen reader read it. <laughs> You'll get some empathy real fast. But yeah, I there, there are all different kinds of disabilities though. I think we tend to focus a lot on visual impairment, but 
there are all kinds of things that could get people to need accessibility features. That's, just breaking that's your where arm. I was going. Yeah. Well, what, how, how do you account for that? You know, what other types are there? Well, there's, you know, people who can't use a mouse. That hits a pretty big segment of people um, because those could be temporary disabilities. It could be um, motor impairments. Like maybe someone can see the screen, but they just can't use the mouse. So by enabling the keyboard, that helps everybody. I like navigating with the keyboard and I can use a mouse sometimes you know, using forms, for example, like if I had to give up and use the mouse, well, lucky me, I could give up and use the mouse, but I'd prefer to keep my hands on the keyboard the entire time. There's also, you know, hearing impairments. So if you have audio or video content, you would need to provide alternatives. So provide captions or transcripts, those kinds of things. Um, an interesting idea that we had on Angular Material was that Material design is a, I mean, they say up front that it is a visual design language, but we thought it would be really interesting if that extended to, you know, what if that included ear cons for those page transitions we talked about? They're so visual, but what if you could communicate that a transition is happening without having to see it? Like, that would be a really cool design language if it actually went that far. So those are the kinds of things that we think about with accessibility. Interesting. Yeah, I also know that some people are using some kind of assistive devices. So, for example, they, they can't use the mouse, but they use other devices for, like, uh, tapping a screen or a pointer or something that, that helps them, you know, select things sort of like a mouse, either because they can't use the keyboard or the mouse because they don't have arms or things like that. And so by providing a larger target, a lot of times you can solve some of these issues. So instead of having a teeny tiny button somewhere, you, totally. you know, you, you have a larger target that they can tap. And so by allowing them to interact that way, um, you make their life a little bit easier. Definitely. Yeah. I, I try to think of it as, you know, you could have different kinds of inputs. Not everyone's going mm -hmm. to use a mouse to reach it. Like what if you, I don't know, what if you waved your hand to, to engage something? You want to factor your, you know, however you make things happen in your application, you want to factor the business logic so that it's not tied to a single type of event. So if you click and it does something, you want that the same function to happen when you use a keyboard or change that input out for waving your arm or blinking your eye. There's people who have RSI. There was a designer, I just read her story a week or two ago, and she actually had her dad create a trackpad she could use her nose to draw. She might be trading RSI in her hand for in her neck, <laughs> but <laughs> it was it was an alternative that allowed her to continue as a designer. So there's all kinds of modifications that people make that it's going to be hard to anticipate everything, but I think if we just think, you know, put our creative hats on in terms of, you know, how are, what kind of inputs are people going to have for accessing our site? We end up building things, uh, you know, better so that we can support other kinds of devices. Cause yeah, you're right. There are assistive devices for reading. Like if you, if you think about it, you know, having to have audio be your only input for consuming content would, it would be nice to have options. So if you're visually impaired or blind and you can read braille, then you can read without having it all piped through your ears, which I'm sure is a welcome, you know, a different way of consuming content. So Marcy, circling back to um, material design, 
what should we think we should be thinking about now ourselves as we're sort of making choices uh, of, of projects that we're about to build? Uh, and what are the things that you think most need doing? You mean for like us on the, you know, who are building it? Or do you mean as community members? Can you rephrase? No, for us out here, us out here. I'm sure you've got your own uh, agenda there. But what, what I'm thinking about us out here, we, we who are building Angular apps think and have new Angular uh, app projects coming our way. And we need to give our clients advice about what they can expect, what direction to take in terms of building the UI. So it's, it's partly like, what can we do? What should we be doing now? How should we be thinking about that? And yeah, that kind of thing. What's our, what's your advice to us? Well, right now, I think the, the best thing for community members to do is to contribute and to, you know, help us get to the finish line by, you know, battle testing components. And especially if you know that there is a certain set that you'd want to use together and you have a use case that you could go and, you know, create a demo that will help us, you know, if there are issues with that combination, then we can fix it sooner than later. Because I, I don't think it's quite ready to say, Hey, client, you know, we want to use this thing, I think for projects that are launching right now, it's probably too early. But in a few months, it will totally be time to start considering Angular Material for production apps. That's my hope. But we definitely have more work to do to make it a comprehensive solution. Let me put a, a fire point. If I knew that I had a project that was supposed to deliver six months from now, is it knowing as you do the current state of material design, which isn't where, you know, it isn't ready to release, but maybe the API has settled down enough so that the rug won't be pulled out from under me. So is it safe to go into the water is really what I'm asking. Is it safe to, if I have that, I realize it's not safe if I have to deliver in February, but is it safe for June? I think we're, you know, we definitely are trying to assume we don't have any more breaking changes but it, just given the like the number of components that we're supporting and we have coming out soon, yeah, it's it's really hard to say, uh, which does make it a bit challenging to yeah. You know, if you're, you're picking a, a UI framework, I would definitely hope in a few months that I could have a better answer for you. But <laughs> it's hard to say at this point. Well, that's, that that's incredibly fair, Marcy. That's, that's <laughs> Nice. We're getting toward the end of the time. I have one more question, though, and that's uh, back to accessibility. So I can go and I can pick up NG Aria right now. I see that it's available in Angular 139, and it's probably been around for a little bit longer. Since 1.3. That's okay. when it came out. So what I'm wondering is, you know, so do I just plug this in and then just start using the Aria tags as well? Or is is there a next step beyond that? Yes, so the first thing with NG Aria, yeah, you include it as a module, and then you have access to it. We actually already pull it in in Angular Material, so you wouldn't need to add it to Angular Material uh, because you would already be getting it with Angular Material. But if you're going to use it, I've written some information on the developer guide for NG Aria that is a really good place to start to know what exactly it would be doing for you or not doing it for you. So it's there is a little bit of developer education involved to know what exactly it's trying to fix, but it does do a limited number of things. So you can easily go read the developer guide for NG Aria. There's also a blog post that I wrote on the official Angular blog that would be more information as well. So that's what I would look at. Very cool. I just want to say, here's a little 
tip for the Angular team. It'd be nice if that you know I'm, you look at the documentation and it's very thin. It would really be nice if it had some sort of links out to additional resources and you know some place to go just to tip for you guys because it's do which which documentation are you? Well, talking? you know, like if I just went to say the uh, Angiaria page, you know, it's kind of thin. So do you mean the the API? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's where I went. Yeah. Yeah. So the API it definitely does not have as much information. If you go to if you just search NGARIA Developer Guide, that's where the bulk of the explanation is. And there's also the blog post I wrote is called "Using NGARIA," and it's kind of a higher level like, what is this thing? Why is it part of Angular? And it kind of leads you into the developer guide. So by reading that information, I think that'll help. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, good. So yeah, the API docs, we tried to not copy the exact same information, but I agree that the API docs specifically are hard to follow. I think the developer guide helps kind of round out the explanation. Very good. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Joe, do you want to start us with the picks? You betcha, Red Rider. So my only pick this week is going to be an activity that's also kind of the uh, announcement for ng-conf, and that is that at ng-conf we're going to be running a kids track. It's called ng-kids, and it's an opportunity for attendees to bring their kids along with them to the conference, and for the entire time that they're at the conference, their kids are going to be able to learn programming using what should be taught by Zaniac, a nationwide company who happens to have a local branch. And by the way, we are looking for companies that want to help out sponsor this and cover the costs. So if you happen to work for a company that might want to help sponsor teaching programming to 50 kids, then please contact me. That'd be great. And that's my pick. Cool. Ward, do you have some picks for us? I have one technical one and then one non-technical one. The technical one is that there'll be a lot of Angular content at Dev Intersections in May. The conference is May 18th and 21st through 21st in Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, I'll be there. John Papa will be there. I'll be doing at least something on Angular testing. And then the other kind of off-the-wall one is uh, this last weekend I was at a poetry retreat uh, led by a guy named David White. And um, if you just ever have a poetical bone in your body and you're thinking about it, you might want to check out David White's work, W-H-Y-T-E, and not only his own poems, which I think are great, but also he's a magnificent reader of other poems that's uh, from many cultures, but also, you know, most primarily English language poems. And it's, uh, it's fascinating stuff. And it's gives you a chance to sort of ask that primal question about whether you're doing the right thing with your life. <laughs> I know that's exactly what you want. That's why I like accessibility. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It has that, it has that effect, doesn't it? It, it, uh, it, it shocks you into the realization that your world is not the same as everybody else's world. Yeah, what I came to realize was that I could actually help people through web development, which when you get into web development, is kind of like, I it would be a stretch for me to have said before that I'm helping people with, you know, by creating campaign websites. No, I don't think so. But by creating things that are accessible and advocating for accessibility on, you know, digital products, 
definitely, I could say that. You can you can totally change the world by making campaign websites for the Republicrats. <laughs> I, I just have to say, you know, I like those guys. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. What are your picks? Sure. So my first pick is something practical. The accessibility developer tools in Chrome are super useful. There's a, a browser extension that you can add on to Chrome so that you can just audit a website really easily. So if you haven't heard of that, that's a really good way to find out how you're doing on accessibility in your applications. And the next pick is uh, I'm going to be presenting on Angular at FluentConf in April in San Francisco. And so if anybody will be there, I'm going to be talking about you know how accessibility has improved in Angular since August. Nice. Yeah, that's a great conference. Marcy, is there something that you read or saw that really turned you around on accessibility or that would help us get a better sense of it? A book or a video or something you can recommend? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, for me, it was getting to know people with disabilities. I, I have to think about that. I'm sorry I wasn't ready with an answer. That's the better thing. You know, I'm, I'm always a book and video guy, you know, sit in the corner and learn something. But maybe there's something we should be doing in our communities as a way in our own communities where we can have that kind of an encounter. Yeah, definitely. I do know there's, like, one video I saw recently that I thought was really cool was a, a blind developer talking about how he does his work. I thought that was super interesting. I'll see if I can find his stuff. Because, yeah, anytime that, you know, you can actually hear firsthand what kind of challenges someone has, that really helps you to, I don't know, consider like, oh, maybe I should make my stuff work for them because that's a real person that I could be helping. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think most companies really realize that until they have somebody with a disability come to them and say, you know, I really have to use your stuff and I can't. Yes. I actually did find, yeah, blind programmer Austin Serafin is his name, and he's done a number of talks. It looks like there's a TED Talk as well. But he talked about creating, you know, iOS applications as a blind developer, which I thought was super interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, an Apple gives you a whole bunch of built-in stuff for accessibility in Xcode and iOS. They do, yeah. We just tend to think of, if you manage to get people to think about accessibility uh, a lot of times they're only thinking about the end user. So for somebody navigating to a website that's built with and, you know, that is an app that we've made. If you're creating tools, like creating developer tools or documentation for development, like all of those things should be accessible as well because, you know, the developer could have a disability. So it's not just the cons- end consumer. It's also the, you know, development consumer that we should be thinking about too. I just I really like that uh, so many of these ecosystems. Um, I've heard things about Ember, and you know iOS has accessibility features. Android has some accessibility features, and I, I like that in a lot of cases it's just as simple as turning it on. You know the ng aria stuff, for example, is is one of those things where you know you include the library and then it more or less is on, and then you just have to add some tags. I mean, it's real simple. Totally, yeah. the The goal of NGRIA was to try and help you in those common scenarios, and it's it's hard to anticipate every scenario. But I think the biggest one that we're trying to fix is the, the ng click on divs, as that's written in textbooks. There are Angular textbooks that tell you to do things inaccessibly. They're all over blog posts. Like it's it has become a part of Angular culture has been to create inaccessible UIs, and so 
I mean, we're not going to go and reprint every textbook that has that in it. If the framework can actually fix that, that's going to make the web more accessible while we advocate that you use a button, that is definitely the better way to do it. But we can hopefully go and fix some of these issues just by having a smart module. Yeah, I've been doing that. I'm going to go look at my stuff and go fix that. Nice. Well, if you use the Chrome accessibility developer tools, it'll help you diagnose some of those oh, problems. That's good. That's good. Very cool. Well, I, I just going to throw a pick out there real fast. Um, it's an iOS game. It's called A Dark Room. The UI is pretty simplistic. It's not pretty. It's kind of a text-based game if you played those back in the however old I am, you know, back in the day when there weren't your computers weren't as powerful and so the graphics weren't as awesome. And so anyway, it's it's pretty cool. They also have an online HTML5 version. So uh, go check that out. And I guess we'll wrap up. Thanks for coming, Marcy. It was really cool to talk about this stuff and uh, hopefully we'll have yeah, you back. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, well, we'll wrap up, and we'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com forum and sign up today.